Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. This is the discussion portion of the show, which we're posting separately, and I'm joined by Rania Kalik. Hello, Rania. Yo, what's up? And, I, I, you know, we wanted to start off this discussion, well, I guess first off, if everyone uh, wants to, the, the interview with Josh Fox we did is completely amazing. It's, it's so good, um, and he gave us a lot of his time, and we're so glad that we were able to do that with him. So um, if you haven't listened to Josh Fox yet, you, you definitely should. He blew our fucking minds. Someone, yeah. I'm sorry, somebody told me I curse too much, and so I'm just going to make it a point to continue to do that. that's a good idea yeah sorry Uh, sorry if you're listening you're fucking welcome (laughs) to the guy who told me i curse too much right um and so uh i think we also wanted to get off on a good foot here and say something positive because i think we can take some credit and um the, the the week uh had uh you know a lot of amazing spectacles, but one of the great moments was when Hardy's and Carl's Jr. CEO, Andy Puzder, uh, had to withdraw and got rejected, um, not just by Democrats, not just all Democrats, but there were GOP senators who were saying, we're not going to vote for him. So he had to cut tail and run. He had to get out. Uh, he is not going to be our labor secretary. And, you know, Rodney, can I tell you how much of a piece of shit this guy is? Um, he's very big into replacing workers with robots. Oh. Um, Two thirds of women at his food shops. I don't call them restaurants. I call them food shops because they're kind of like <laughs> sweatshops the way that they run. Um, they face sexual harassment. Um, uh, like there's, they've done surveys and there's like an incredible rate of sexual harassment. Part of it is um, as people – who are listening to this podcast may know, uh, the advertisements for Carl's Jr. have these women who look like uh, like centerfold models for magazines, and they're eating, uh, and you're like, as, as somebody who, you're a vegan, right? As somebody who's a vegan, this would be, like, very disgusting. Well, I, I, eat, fi- I eat fish, so I'm you kind fish. of a vegan. But, I mean, to, to, like, this is, like, one of the most disgusting displays where, like, they'll lay out in the backs of like sleek modeled cars and they'll eat this greasy burger that's like oozing down their hand. It's really Ew. gross. It's really gross. And that's uh, so hot. And <laughs> more than half of his restaurants violate wage and hour laws. Um, that's what the labor department has found. Um, he um, had an undocumented housekeeper who he exploited, uh, just like many of the other immigrants who work at his food shops, and then he like kind of lied about it. Uh, his restaurants steal wages from workers, um, and he's a leading member of the National Restaurant Association, which means he's lobbied aggressively to keep the minimum wage as low as possible and to keep tipped workers from receiving more than $2.13 an hour. Mm-hmm. And also, he beat his wife. Um, oh wow! And, That's a um, his, his wife went on Oprah um, some years ago, and there's a clip. Or she went on Oprah in disguise, um, and this video started making the rounds on Capitol Hill, and senators were seeing it, and it made them tremendously uncomfortable. And Andy also did this thing where he kind of got his wife, I'm pretty sure, to retract her claims so that she no longer was going around publicly saying that he beat her. So why is this guy not in prison? I'm sorry. Like what? <laughs> I 
I mean, it's great that he's not labor secretary, but I love how that's like an achievement instead of like this guy sounds like he should be shut down. <laughs> like, like he shouldn't get to have a restaurants and make money. He should go to prison. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I, I completely. Uh, like you just described a sociopath. Like what? The... Yeah. Um, and also this is how he described why robots are better than workers. Uh, you'll never be able to get this out of your head. They're always polite. They always upsell. They never take a vacation. They never show up late. <laughs> There's never a slip and fall or an age, sex, or race discrimination case. They're not human. Basically, they're not human. He, this guy like just likes not humans because he can exploit them. They're easier to exploit. <laughs> what a, what an asshole! Oh my god! Uh, what if like un, what if like a the guy does? Wow! <laughs> I'm glad he's not labor secretary. I'm just kind of. I don't know what to but say. But we did that, and we should take credit for it. So um, all of you people who listen to this show, uh, many of you who you know got angry, um, that's, that's, that's our work, and, um, and we should be proud. So also, uh, again, as we say at the top of our episodes now, thanks very much to everyone who supports our show um, and, and uh, our patrons and our monthly donors. Uh, we're very grateful to have you, and we like reading comments from you at the top of our shows. So this one's a little bit older, but it comes from Matthew. And he said, Rania is totally right about how the left needs to acknowledge how U.S. foreign policy has helped fuel jihadist violence. You may remember a few episodes ago we had a, a long conversation about this. The only public figure on the left who has really talked about this in recent years is Noam Chomsky. Also, I love when Rania says, dude. Dude, <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you for that. And I'm there's really one glad. more. Yeah. Um, this comes from Julian F., who wrote, Rania's laugh is so contagious, it always puts a <laughs> smile on my face. And then he has a smiley emoticon. Oh, I love these. These are like the nice, I love nice comments. Thank you. I, I really do. Please, if you ever want to say something nice, just to say it to me. I'm always happy to hear it. <laughs> okay. I'm just giggling because I like being complimented. So, um, um, it's Kevin, there's actually like one thing I wanted to talk about before we get into the other things we mentioned um, that I forgot to talk about before we started recording because we kind of listed what we wanted to talk about. Well, by all and, means. Because um, I just, I got a lot of like, uh, I got some pushback to th these things when I posted about them recently. And so I wanted to get your take. And just also say that, like, this is not cool. Um, so apparently, like, Bill Gates is likely going to be the first trillionaire in the next, like, 20 years or something. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is um, there, you know, it used to be, like, 80 people, or, I think, that owned more wealth, that had more wealth than the bottom half of humanity uh, combined. Now it's eight billionaires. Eight billionaires. They're all men. Mm -hmm. Um, I think except for like all, except for one is like white. Um, but regardless, there's 8 billionaires who have more wealth than the bottom half of humanity than like three and a half than three over 3 billion people, um, or three and a half billion people. That's crazy, right? Like that's insane. And people, a like there should be, there should never be anything such as a trillionaire. Like no one should ever be allowed to have that much wealth. That is insane. There's no reason anybody needs that much wealth, and there's no, absolutely no reason in a world where there's so many people who are just like can't afford to buy food that that should be a thing. And then the other part, like where all these billionaires have all this wealth, that is insane. Like eight, eight people, eight individuals have more wealth than three and a half billion people. That is 
an insane system. Like that is the root problem of her, of our, of like our entire society is that that's allowed to exist. And so first of all, there should never be anything such as a trillionaire. Second of all, I don't even think people should be billionaires. I'm sorry. You don't need to be a billionaire. Like you don't, nobody needs that much wealth. Your wealth just sits in a bank or like accumulates and you don't do anything with it. You just buy, you know, new mansions and sometimes yachts, but really it just kind of like sits in different accounts and accumulates more and more money while people go hungry. And I, so like I said, these things and I got the craziest reactions from some people being like, Oh, so you don't think that people should be able to earn, you know, should be able to earn what they like work for. Oh, so you think that like, or like the, the Bill Gates thing, a lot of responses would be like, yeah, but he created Microsoft. Like, I don't care what you created. I don't care if you developed like some sort of life-saving vaccine. You don't get to be a trillionaire. Like there's no need. There's no reason for that. I don't care what you did. Like Bill Gates makes more money. Um, it makes more money when he sleeps than like in like an hour, I think, of when he sleeps than any of us will make like in a whole year. You know what I mean? Like that should infuriate you. That should like that should outrage you so much. I don't care if you like Bill Gates. He's he's done some asshole things. So I don't think he should. But even if you do, I don't care what he created. I don't care if he creates like a vaccine for AIDS. He doesn't. Nobody should be able to make more money in an hour than people do in a whole year. That's crazy, right? Like that's insane. That's insane. And so I just wanted to, to note that because. I think it's really bad that there might be a trillionaire and that so few people own all this wealth and that people respond to that by thinking that like billionaires deserve to be billionaires. What They wait, don't. Wait, where did you put this up? Was this like, um, just like on Facebook and Twitter. Like I didn't write an article or anything. I just like shared these things and I didn't even make that many. Like my comment on them was just like a sentence. Even on Facebook, I was just like, uh, like nobody should get to be a trillionaire. Sorry. <laughs> and a lot of people agreed, but then I, there was these reactions that I was just surprised by. Like, I feel like uh, that's a that's something that's just so common is we're just so inculcated with these ideas about people deserving what they make that we assume like it's just like it comes naturally to be like, well, yeah, but he created Microsoft. No, like people work really hard doing all kinds of things around this country and they can't get by. Sorry, like people in other parts of the world make like a dollar a day if they're lucky in some places. And like they like work their asses off to like mine the stuff that's in Microsoft products, you know, like Bill Gates shouldn't get to be a trillionaire or, you know, and it's funny, too, because people don't know this, but after like 10 million dollars, of like after $10 million, after you're worth that much, like your quality of life, according to studies, doesn't actually get any better. Um, so, I mean, there should be a cap. Like we talk about a minimum wage. There needs to be like a maximum wage or like a maximum. I'm serious. Like this is what governments should do. The governments should be like confiscating some of this wealth because it's not doing anything. It's just accumulating more and more. And like everyone's like, well, Bill Gates gives all his money away or gives so much money away. Well, then how does he keep making more? Like he gives all this money away and then somehow he ends up being like even richer in the long run. Well, so the problem like, is that when you are talking about these individuals who have all this extra wealth that you can give to charity is then it becomes a substitute for public investment. Exactly. And so then government doesn't do its work or public services or even just like basic utilities that we all depend on. You know, we, we're facing a future where the eight wealthiest men in the world could be responsible. Their money could be responsible for making sure that our world runs because government institutions have pulled back and let them take over those uh, those services. 
Well said. Well said. Anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there because I was really surprised by some of the reactions. So um, I don't have like a and- policy so- solution, but I do get like the sense of disgust and being uh, like this recoiling when you see that because it's a disgusting number given how little money people are making and how many people, you know, that, that number of 50% in the bottom isn't small. We're talking like 3.6 billion people. So, (laughs) so that's a lot of people who are finding themselves struggling to get by. Um, you know, I mean, maybe the bottom 50% somewhere up there, you're, you're getting middle-class people who probably do decently well, but I don't know. I mean, People in the middle class in this country now are probably one health insurance bill away from bankruptcy. So, yeah, no, exactly. Especially if they get rid of Obamacare. But it's just, it's also the fact that like we have, there's like, there's like a lack of, a lack of like ideologies out there for even how to fix this. Like the people are still scared to be like the government. Like, like we, we are like, we should be the government. Like the government is, if it's a democracy as it's like what it should be. The government on behalf of the people should be taking this money like it should. I'm sorry. Like, you know, there was a time when we used to tax people 90 percent of their wealth when they were like the richest people in the country. And they still have a lot of money left over. Like, it's like people think somehow you can't take Bill Gates's money away because poor Bill Gates is like going to starve or something. You take 90 percent of Bill Gates's money away. He still is a billionaire. So I think I think we could get a legislation. We'll call it the Donald Trump Prevention Act because. (laughs) <laughs> the idea is that if you take the wealth from these people and they won't give birth to children who leech off their parents and then get elected president and wreck our entire country. <laughs> Anyways, we can move on. I just wanted to – I didn't even mean to like bring – I forgot about that and I just wanted to bring it up because I want people to be aware that it doesn't have to be like that and no, it shouldn't I, be like that. I think that's a very like good issue to discuss. And so something that uh, dominated our week – was what happened with uh, Michael Flynn, the national security advisor, and it involved leaks. Uh, there's There's been a constant deluge of leaks, it seems, since Donald Trump became president. Some of them have been fabulous and, um, and, and fun, learning things like uh, the people in the White House don't know how to work the light switches, so they'll just sit in the dark. <laughs> 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 Which are fun. Um, With like candlelight. <laughs> <laughs> that they'll like roam the halls of the White House and get lost and not know like where doors lead. And it's oh, man. That's just kind of wonderful to hear about. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the serious thing, though, is that like now he's pledging to wage a war on what he calls low life leakers. And you know, <laughs> the fact is, I think that. Uh, Regardless of the deeper issues around Russia, uh, Russia versus our, our like security agencies, uh, there's there's one fundamental thing that I think we should be able to agree on, which is that, and I, I got this from uh, a whistleblower, uh, CIA whistleblower John Kiriakou, who I talked to, um, who for our listeners who who maybe don't have this fresh in their mind, um, said some things back in 2007 about how Bush administration was waterboarding individuals and said that that was torture and it was a bad policy. And he did this on ABC News. And um, and then that made him a target. So anyways, he's saying that Flynn 
um, violated this Logan Act of 1779. He was making foreign policy when he had not been sworn in as national security advisor. Uh, that's a felony. Um, whether that law is antique or not, that's for us as people to decide and get rid of that law. But as long as it's on the books, you're in violation of it. And yeah. then he lied about it. He lied about it, and we found out. And that was that was uh, someone within government uh, gave journalists that information. Now Donald Trump wants to go after them. And uh, so there's that point. I don't know if you have anything to say. Uh, before I... Well, no, I mean, I think that uh, there was a lot of outrage and there's good there's it's good that there's outrage against the whole like him going after leakers. But, you know, Obama prosecuted more leakers in his administration um, than I think any and I think all the presidents combined. Is that right? Yeah. So this is what uh, so this is leading where I was going to go. So I wanted to point out and emphasize that there's actually not that much difference between the way. Barack Obama and Donald Trump would seem to feel about uh, leaks. In fact, I think Obama might have a lot of empathy for Donald Trump in this situation. So uh, I'm going to read this. Uh, One of his biggest pet peeves in his first year as president was actually leaks. It was a common source of anger. So This comes from Jonathan Alter's book. Uh, He wrote The Promise, President Obama, Year One. It's one of these like stenographic jobs that these journalists yeah. do where they get access and then they pat themselves on the back like we did a good job. Yeah, I'm but, a real hard-hitting journalist. But, I know, wrote down what these people said. But yeah. you befriended him and were so, so anyways, but he got he, he but this is revealing. He he said complaints about loose lips became a constant theme of Obama's early presidency. At his first cabinet meeting, he made a point of saying that he didn't want to see his cabinet litigating policy through the New York Times and the Washington Post. At a Blair House retreat for the cabinet and senior staff at the end of July, and mind you, this is still in his first year, so it's all relevant to Trump, he devoted about a quarter of his comments to urging his people to keep their disagreements within the family. Quote, (laughs) we should be having these debates on the inside, not the outside, end quote. And during his 20 hours of deliberations over Afghanistan in the fall, he returned repeatedly to the theme. Naturally, in Washington, nearly every time he got upset about leaks, it leaked. For all his claims that he didn't want yes-men around him, no one on his staff was brave enough to tell the president that obsessing over leaks was a colossal waste of time. Aides should have recognized that the age-old problem in Washington isn't managing leaks but managing the president's fury over them. But it wouldn't have mattered. Leaks offended Obama's sense of discipline and reminded him of everything he disliked about the Capitol. He was fearsome on the subject, which seemed to bring out his controlling nature to an even greater degree than usual. Wow. I didn't know that, but that makes sense. He so he did obsess over. So yeah, there isn't much difference. You're right. I think the difference. I think you mentioned this when we talked. We were talking about it earlier. The difference is the demeanor. Yeah. Um. And that's what because when when it came to Obama prosecuting leakers, the media loved Obama. Whether you like him, except for like Fox News, the media really loved Obama. The Obama had his the way he dealt with the media. Like he. He did it really well for him. It worked because the media loved him. I mean, they really did. Um, and because of that, it clouded the way that they covered him. Uh, with Donald Trump, you know, he's at war with the media. He hates the media. And he doesn't – he tells them that. <laughs> he tells the media that um, in a really shocking way. And so everybody's now for the leaks. And, um, uh, and, and one more thing, and then we'll segue into a conversation we want to have about the media – is what's different between uh, uh, back then and then now is that we have Jeff Sessions as the attorney general. And I, and I want to emphasize that point because it really makes a difference that the person who's running the Justice Department right now is going to be Jeff Sessions and not someone like Loretta Lynch or Eric Holder. 
um, because those were mentally stable people. Um, no, that's that's the issue with the Trump administration. And, it's it is mental. And stability. I have a quote here that I want to read because it may kind of stun you. But he he was livid back in 2012 because uh, this was this is way back when. But there were there were these leaks that happened in the summer of 2012 where we were learning about the kill list. We were learning about the virus, the Stuxnet virus used to attack Iran, the cyber attack. We 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 were hearing about this bomb plot sting operation that the CIA was involved in this underwear bomb plot in Yemen. And there were all these things. And that's also, I think, when we heard this stuff about the AP had their phone records seized and there were all the, uh, all, all this outrage. And yeah. so Sessions, uh, they, had, they had hearings. There's going to be hearings like this on Capitol Hill coming uh, in the next month. And, and Sessions asked a question to Holder and he, he said, these were, this was a statement. He, he read all these people who were quoted in these articles. And then he said, these were all talking to the New York Times. Somebody provided information that shouldn't have been provided. These are some of the closest people you have in government to the president of the United States. So this is a dangerous thing. And he (laughs) insisted to Holder that people needed to be interviewed in an aggressive, independent way, not as a friendly fellow Department of Justice employee, but as someone that could be subject to a criminal charge. So, I mean, he's very, like, incensed by this back in 2012, and I think he still has this view about leaks. He was very adamant that, like, there's been a pattern where we've had series of leaks. Um, uh, Yeah, this was something that was very uh, a big deal to him. It's still, I think, a big deal for Jeff now. And, like, for me, when I hear this vengeful nature toward leakers, it's clear that it doesn't just – um, implicate the people in government who are going to be revealing what Donald Trump's actually doing behind the scenes and what his, you know, people who work for him are doing. But it's also going to impact the the journalists who are the ones publishing. Um, that that they're probably going to be snooping on the phones of these news organizations. That they probably are going to try to be getting emails between journalists and these people if they can. I mean, is that something new though? It's not a new thing, but. A little bit think, more aggressive, maybe? So there was a turn in between 14, 2014 and 2016 where there was this pullback, where we're going to have guidelines, we're going to have rules. There was enough outrage that they were going to institute a process. I think with Donald Trump, you could just throw the process out, because what does it matter? Yeah. If the ends justify the means, then how we get there doesn't matter. Right. No, that's true. Uh, on a somewhat related note... Um, when it comes to all this, I do want to talk a little bit about, I guess, journalism in the media. Um, and it's something that's kind of been, it's been bugging me. Uh, there's all of these media outlets that Trump keeps going after, which I don't agree with the way he's going after them at all. Like he's like, Oh, you all are fake news. You know, um, these are all media outlets that are now doing, they're doing the same thing that they used to do, but they're just doing it while pretending to be subversive. So like CNN's Jake Tapper, for example, it's like somehow Jake Tapper, like has, everybody thinks he's like, like Edward Murrow or something because he just like says that, you know, really, uh, he gives these zingers about Trump on his show now and it'll like go viral and they're like, wow, Jake Tapper's really coming after Trump hard, you know? <laughs> and so, and like CNN keeps really like, or I'm sorry, SNL keeps like sort of spoofing all of these things that Trump is doing and making these really mainstream 
uh, personalities seem like they're subversive and they're adversarial. They're like intrepid, you know, when in reality, like these people have been a big part of the problem, like CNN, MSNBC, a lot of these major papers, and I'm not everybody at them, but a lot of them have been a huge part of the problem. Like they helped sink Bernie Sanders' primary campaign. Yeah, institutionally speaking, they helped sink Bernie Sanders' primary. I mean, look, I know people who work at these outlets and I like them. I'm not saying everybody there is bad. I'm just saying that these places are still gatekeepers. They still act as gatekeepers. They still blacklist people. They still do all of the things that they did before. They just also hate Trump. And that's good that they hate Trump because Trump is fucking crazy. Like, there's no really other response to have other than to despise him and want to expose him, right? That makes sense, and I'm all for that. But what's bothering me is the way that these outlets that have so many resources are now just, like, acting like they're the vanguard. And and suddenly, like, they're still keeping voices like ours out, you know what I mean? They're still making sure that leftists don't come on their programs, you know? They're still gatekeeping, and... I feel like right now, more than ever, like we really need to have those leftist voices. And a lot of these outlets are very centrist and that that makes them a part of the problem. These are like elite East Coast media. And because of that, because it's like a lot of the major personalities that you see like as their faces are so disconnected from the rest of the country and from what's going on in the rest of the country. um, And because they're so like, you know, just like vanilla in their in in the way that like they present everything in a lot of their views, they actually like make it worse. You know, they make it worse because especially like could you imagine like being, um, like especially with Trump supporters, like the you know they're they're not going to change their minds from watching Jake Tapper because Jake Tapper is just like an East coast elite, you know? And he's saying the same thing. He's saying like the same thing that like all of the other elites are saying, it's like, there still needs to, the big problem is there's like you, when you keep people out of the mainstream, you're still keeping people out of the mainstream who we need to hear from. Like we need to hear from people on the left. We need to hear strong left voices that are even further to the left than Bernie Sanders, but even like Bernie Sanders. And I feel like you're still not seeing that these people are still doing a really poor job of like offering platforms to those um, kinds of voices. And as a result, like you're not going to ever win. You're not going to ever win anybody to the other side because your side still sucks. But to play devil's advocate, um, these newsrooms have produced extraordinary work during the first weeks of the Trump administration, and they need their pizza. And oh my god! The, and they're oh my hungry, god. and um, and they 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 need their pizza. No, can you please explain what you're talking okay, about? So, I don't even have the. Okay, so there's this GoFundMe that took off. Uh, I mean, in, in the scheme of things, uh, it was posted on February 16th, and in you know a short amount of time raised $6,919 over a $2,000 goal from 405 different people in a day. Um, (laughs) And it was for, uh, I mean, here's here's the goal, okay? My goal, this person wrote, was to show the Post and the Times I appreciate what they've been doing the last few weeks because they're performing a historic service for all of us. They're not only the hardworking, courageous journalists in the country. Thousands work every day under extremely difficult circumstances at small-town weeklies and big-city dailies. There are awards and paychecks and recognition, but many times those forms of compensation fail to match the level of dedication and sacrifice that goes into the work. So he decided, I think it would be a good gesture to um, 
<laughs> do this impulsive project and give pizza for every newsroom. Um, and I don't know if there's plans to like expand this and send pizza to like other smaller newsrooms, but I can just tell you that like the Post and New York Times probably didn't need to get food to eat. They're probably doing quite well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they've got a lot of money and they don't need pizza. And that's what I mean is that's what's happening right now is like everybody's like, wow. But a lot of these places like where were you? Where were you? Like where I feel like there's been so many people who have been saying these things like and you can kind of see in our interview with Josh, if you were listening to it, which you should. It's like there's people who've been raising these issues for so long for so long and now like you're gonna really pretend like like the new york times is some paragon of like truth i mean i'm not saying it's all bad okay it's just i'm just saying it it, it should matter i think like where, where you're going is like people who put in the work should be getting through and on to these programs for example uh to maybe grandstand a little bit i do all this work on chelsea manning I don't get a single request from any of these networks to come on and do an interview. I don't even get asked to do an adversarial. You're like a, you're Fox like a, you're News. like a non, you're like a non person. Yeah. Like I do <laughs> all this left. work that major media outlets I know are reading while they're putting together their own stories because they wanted it to help them, you know, get clarity on some of the more weedy issues related to the trial. And and I don't get a single interview, and I'm not upset. I am. I happen to do like three or four with some other outlets that I, I enjoyed being able to speak to. And so I don't feel like I was slighted, but it's just to make the point. Same for you. You know, you've done some incredible work on Syria. You've done some remarkable work on, on other things related to Palestine and, and Israel. And who's calling you up when these issues make mainstream media? Not e- not no. even democracy now. <laughs> no. Um, and also, you know, I love democracy now. I really, I really appreciate it as an institution. I think it's a critical thing to keep. On the other hand, in the last week or two, it's starting to resemble an, an MSNBC program. Uh, there are yeah. there are quite a few number of. Uh, elected representatives who have been guests on the show in place of activists and organizers, um, in place of journalists who could be coming on to talk about uh, work they're doing. And I I guess I I don't want to say that Democracy Now! should never have these representatives on their show, but I just feel like Maxine Waters or Ted Lieu, they're going to be on MSNBC. They don't need Democracy Now! to get this off. This isn't a voice that Democracy Now! listeners, I think, need to hear. They want to be exposed to other voices that don't get out, typically. Yeah. Well, that's supposed to be the whole point of, like, the the independent press. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I actually, I got to say, like, I've been a bit disappointed in outlets that I would expect, like, to be the more subversive or to be different. Like, it's like I don't... I don't watch MSNBC. So I then I ask to. you. I ask you um, in our in our discussion here about the media and 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 the news and everything. Uh, since we've gone in this direction, do you feel like this is something that has to do with how Trump is so extreme that we're we're being tugged in this rightward authoritarian direction, and so the spectrum is actually in our media is actually being tugged that way. So where you have MSNBC and you have CNN doing shows now, and they're still 
using their politics, they have the same politics that they had when Barack Obama was president, but they look radical because of Donald Trump as the president. Yeah, that's exactly it's, That's exactly it. I think what you just said is exactly it. And that's the issue. And it's frustrating. It's just it's frustrating. I, I really got to say it's frustrating when people are celebrating Jake Tapper. I'm not saying Jake Tapper is like some evil man, but his politics suck on a lot of things. Like this isn't some like he's one of the better people on CNN, but that's not saying a lot. But um, so the question he, would be, it's like, are there opportunities where Jake Tapper has had people on and he's taken that chance to challenge those people who are on his show? Yes, but that also should be normal. That also should yeah. be when those people are saying things that aren't true, when they're saying, you know, as is now folklore, alternative facts, then <laughs> that's your job as the anchor, um, as the personality. That's like your only thing. Like you, you introduce the segment, you introduce the guests, you ask questions, and if they're not actually answering the questions, you make them answer the questions, and then you say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, exa that's exactly what should be happening, and I mean, I hope that these uh, habits and patterns continue once, if we, if we do manage to get out of this Trump mess, um, because I could actually see a situation where, like, let's say Trump was impeached for some reason, and Mike Pence became president, I think that you would see, like, everybody would be like, yes, finally. Like, they would treat Mike Pence. Um, they would go to treating Republicans or, like, if Paul Ryan became president or something. Well, they would all treat Paul Ryan like he was great, grand, and wonderful and lovely. Well, we can use the, like, the boiling frogs analogy. So, like, if you're uh, – if right now we're all ready to jump out because the water is so very hot, if you impeach Donald Trump, then it could be, like, turning down the stove a little bit. So a lot of people may not feel like they want to jump out anymore, but like you really should because like it's still pretty, it's still, it's still <laughs> yeah. pretty fucking hot. It's still yeah, it's like really yeah, you're gonna get burned, <laughs> like really badly burned. Um, but anyways, I just I'm glad that I'm, I know I just wanted to like talk that out because I find that really frustrating. And on that note, like I hate to be self-serving here, but I feel like if you are listening and you do like the show, it's a reason to support it um, because we don't like it's like the kinds of. Um, the kinds of views that we have, the people that we have on, and the sort of analysis that we offer, I feel like we still, even in the Trump era, is still too much for the mainstream. Um, and so you got to like, so that if you don't, the UF, you have to support stuff like this or else you're going to be stuck with just Jake Tapper. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that, you know, there, there, there are public interest projects that I think are doing really good work. They have resources. They have people with expertise. They know how to uncover uh, things that, that, that need to be shown. Like, I'm thinking of ProPublica. This is like uh, an outlet that's benefited greatly from donations in the last um, months or two. But I think you also need these, you need these smaller sort of outfits, the kind of ones that have names that aren't easily recognizable. You know, like, obviously, if now in this climate, my, my concern over and over again is like, someone's going to hear that they got this information from Shadowproof, and immediately they're going to be like, that's got to be fake news. With a name like that, that's a fake news site. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, you know, go read it, look at the links, look at the sources, make your decision be literate as a media <laughs> reader um, and don't let somebody just judge it by the name. I mean, we also have outlets like Vox and BuzzFeed that are taking up space and they have weird names too. And sometimes they publish garbage <laughs> and sometimes they publish things that are decent. And, uh, you know, sometimes they hire people like Jason Leopold who kicks ass. So it's, yeah. 
it's um, I don't think you should just let names uh, trigger prejudices that you have in your mind. You should go click on those. So uh, do you have anything else? There's a fun thing I wanted to do before we wrapped. Oh, um, well, I can talk about it like another time, but I just wanted to. Oh, wait, let's talk about Israel and Netanyahu for a few minutes. Yeah, I was going to say, I just wanted to mention that uh, Netanyahu came to D.C. this week. I'm sure you saw, I don't know if you watched the press conference, but it was so weird. (laughs) It was just a really weird, like, Netanyahu and Trump, bizarre conference. But basically Trump uh, was like, I don't know. I mean, two states, one state, whatever works for you. (laughs) Like, that was pretty much what he said during the conference, and everybody lost their minds. Um. And now the two state, like everybody's like the two state solution isn't going to happen because Trump like said it's okay for one state, so people are losing their minds now. He also because... turned and looked at Netanyahu and was like, "So uh, hey, how about uh, pulling back on those settlements just a little bit?" And then Netanyahu laughed, he, like, like he just like giggled like a child because he's like, "No, it's not going to happen." Um, basically, I, what what is happening is that you know uh, for several administrations, the policy was. Two states, we're going towards two states. But that, as we've talked about in the show before many times, has been a complete illusion um, or delusion, I should say. Uh, the two state delusion um, has just been like BS to for it's been cover for Israel to continue stealing more Palestinian land while saying they're moving towards peace. And it's worked quite well because they've stolen lots of land. There's like almost no land um, left to make like a state that connects to itself. Um, so the point is, is there already is one state in Israel, Palestine. It just happens to be a state where millions of people because of their ethnicity have no rights and live under, uh, like a permanent military occupation. And so, uh, that, of course the danger now is that like that now it can explicitly just go on and get worse. Uh, but I do think that there is a silver lining here, uh, to people now talking about the two state solution finally being dead is that the only other there's two options. The, the one is the course that we're on already, which is Israel just continues to be an apartheid state where, you know, it, it controls the lives of all these people who have no rights because they're Palestinian. It's annihilation. Um, yeah, well, it's like a night. Yeah, it's like just continues to push Palestinians out. But also just, you know, you have a state where people have rights ba- continuously, like across the board. Um, and get to be citizens based solely on uh, their their religious like upbringing, you know, their like what the, what family they're born into, um, and it's pretty explicit apartheid. The other option is a you know one democratic secular state where everybody, regardless of their background, gets to have the same rights. Um, and I think that that if you're especially if you're a liberal. Um, is a solution that should is like a no-brainer. You should, of course, support that. But people are like, but no, we have to have a Jewish state. And it's like, okay, well, sorry. Like, it, you're, you don't get to have a Jewish state if you're the, if the people, you know, like, it's not a, the state has Arabs in it. Like, deal with it. I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. Um, so people have to make a decision. They have to decide whether they're going to support apartheid or whether they're going to support a democracy. And that's why they're losing their minds. Like, Thomas Friedman is like, oh, no. Oh no, we can't have a Jewish state anymore. And it's like, dude, relax. Like, it, anyways, it, it'll be interesting to see like what happens. I mean, it's really splitting the American Jewish community um, in a serious way, and people are going to have to like pick a side. Um, the other issue that I found even more uh, concerning, to be honest, is the way that Netanyahu 
is basically running like Middle East policy through Jared Kushner, uh, Trump's son-in-law, who's like in charge of the peace process now and in charge of a lot of the policy to the point where now Trump is employing this strategy that was devised a while back by Netanyahu. And the idea is that instead of making peace with Palestinians in order to become like a normalized entity in the region that is at peace with all the other Arabs and like that has like regular relations with the other Arab countries. The idea is forget about the Palestinians and actually just go straight to all of these Sunni Arab countries uh, led by Saudi Arabia, which includes like Jordan and the UAE and Qatar, go to them and find common cause with them against Iran. And, that way, like, you can actually use, in a way, use the Palestinian peace process, like going to talk to these Arab countries as a way to get them on board with the peace process and stuff. You actually use it as cover to really plan aggression against Iran. And that is actually exactly what's happening because that is what Saudi Arabia wants and what Jordan wants and, and what the UAE and Qatar and all of these states are, like, losing their, you know, they're really worried about Iran and it plays into this whole Shia-Sunni thing. And um, they worry about Iranian influence, whatever that means. Uh, and the U.S. is, of course, anti-Iran. And now with, under Trump, they're in even more anti-Iran. Um, and so I'm really, really concerned that this is like the beginning of a war on Iran. I, and I don't, I'm, I don't say that jokey. Like I don't, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. So no, I think it's very serious, especially if you're giving policy over to Jared Kushner, the son-in-law, and it's just going to be whatever Netanyahu wants the u.s to do and yeah just to be clear like jared kushner um has no experience in the region except for like visiting israel because he's a hardline zionist like he comes from a hardline zionist family uh his family foundation has donated to the settlements uh the Beit al settlement i believe which is like one of the most extremist settlements uh in, in israel palestine or in palestine and um, and on top of that, like Jared Kushner, when he was growing up, like his family was friends with Netanyahu. Netanyahu slept in his bed when he was a teenager. Uh, so they've like literally been in bed together, I guess you could say. Um, but no, I mean, he slept like it's he grew up around people like Netanyahu. Uh, that is the outlook he has. So and he's like 35 or something. He's really young. And so he's not running this pot. Like this is Netanyahu's policy. He's just the kind of, you know the the he carries it out i guess so that's really concerning because israel's ambitions in the region um like it's like it, 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 the number one priority uh, at the moment is to weaken um iran in any way possible because of hezbollah and that it, it, listen if we attack iran that'll be a disaster like a war on iran would be a disaster in so many ways it would unleash a new kind of hell on the whole region um and, it, you, you know, if you care about, like, Americans, it would definitely end up, like, a lot of American soldiers would die. A lot of American soldiers would die in Iraq and Afghanistan. And if they actually did invade, which I don't know if that would actually happen, but if they did, a lot of them would die in Iran because Iran is not – Iran is not like Iraq. It has support. It's a strong country. Iraq was, like, weakened and softened by a decade of just, like, the most awful sorts of sanctions that killed a ton of people and, like, just destroyed the country. Um, that's not how Iran is. <laughs> so Iran has actual allies who are strong, like China and Russia. So, yeah, it would just be a disaster. But, I mean, there is also a fear that because Trump is having a bad presidency so far, he could try and distract from it by going to war. So something to keep, something to keep in mind, um, something to keep your eye on moving forward. I just wanted to... 
I believe in uh, satire not only as like an outlet for me, but I think it's very important in these times. And so I have been writing these pieces and kind of want to get in the habit of like reading some of these on the show every now and then when I have them up. And so this round, uh, I want to tell you what Donald Trump has planned for his administration by his 100th day in office. Uh, in fact, I just happen to have some dates in front of me for when he's going to be completing some of these projects. So uh, on February 20th, um, he plans to appoint a commission to investigate the real truth of how the Earth is actually not getting warmer. The team will travel to Antarctica, where they will study snowflakes as proof the planet is just fine. <laughs> um, on February 23rd, um, he will encourage Americans to challenge political correctness on college campuses and in the liberal fake news media with a new Word of the Month program. And each month, the press secretary will announce a word that should be rescued from the clutches of elitist criticism. The first word will be illegals, followed by thug and towelhead. <laughs> On February 28th, uh, they will gather jars of fetuses that survived abortion and display them in the Oval Office during a press event that will show the country how important it is to celebrate God's precious human tissue before it develops into a baby that could be poor, black, or worse, an anchor baby. <laughs> On March 9th, they will hold a meeting with top executives in the mining industry and develop a path forward to liberating the resources of a country of their choosing in Africa. U.S. <laughs> troops will travel to and occupy this nation because Americans need their biannual state-sponsored geography lesson and industry executives just want to make money, per usual. <laughs> On March 15th, I'll put all the nation's regulations in a big Make America Great Again hat at the leisure of the president. Each time one is pulled out, that regulation will be abolished. The White House visitors will be invited to pick from the hat once a month. And the first regulation they hope to see gone is the Clean Water Act because it's a sad and embarrassing piece of legislation that fails to balance the health of children with our country's need to line the pockets of industry innovators with lots and lots of money. Can you stop giving him ideas, Kevin? I know. Um... He's going to do that. If he does that, everybody who's listening, it, they, he heard it here. Kevin. Kevin is the source. All right, March 20th. They're going to put all the dreamers um, who are under, here under DACA uh, in privately run programs where they will be trained to be loyal American citizens. They will speak English so well that you won't even know what country they're from, except that they'll still be brown-skinned. <laughs> They will be oh, in facilities operated by some fabulous companies who care about the greatness of this country. And if the kids prove themselves, they will not be deported like their moms. Oh, wow. On March 24th, <laughs> uh, he plans to solve the problem of catastrophic violence in the inner cities with a purge. It will last 12 hours. All the thugs, <laughs> gangbangers, homeboys, coyotes, cholos, and just bad guys in general are going to kill each other while mostly good people clear out for a while. Then after the bad guys get out of their system... They'll have whoever is still alive sign a truce, and then you'll see that the murder rate of 67% per inner city block will plummet overnight. Wow. You're, you're really giving him ideas. Like, I'm April, concerned. April, April 6th, compile a list of the most uninspiring species of animals, ones that children never draw in their grade school classes or see in cartoons. <laughs> Those species and their habitats will be the first to be sacrificed when expanding mines for energy production, and after all... Who really needs a raccoon dog confusing our country's children? I mean, bless their hearts, but either we can have dogs or raccoons, but we definitely cannot have raccoon dogs. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> plans to, on April 17th, unchain coal, coal executives who have been kept in underground Greenpeace dungeons for years because the previous administration needed to disappear them to force America to abandon coal. 
And this will be his first step to ensuring coal is a top energy resource again. <laughs> On April 21st, take the country's top secret and highly classified baseball cards of suspected terrorists on the kill list, hand them out to administration officials to trade like Pokemon cards. Administration officials will then face off over which ones are bad dudes and the baddest of the baddies will be killed after each match or tortured or both because it's what we do to really bad dudes. And final, and I think you're going to particularly love this one the most, April 27th, send CNN anthrax. We have this stuff lying around in containers the FBI found at some white supremacist home. The guy actually led a good get-out-the-vote effort for us during the election. And anyways, we'll sit back and laugh at CNN as they scramble, and Sean Spicer will call them out during a briefing when they ask terrible questions and their sources get the truth of what happened (laughs) completely and utterly wrong. (laughs) Kevin, this is really funny. You're You're very clever. Um, so anyways, I enjoy this. Um, that was great. No, that was great, but also very concerning because if any of those things happen, then we know that they listen to our show. So, uh, but yeah, or reach out, so, but they don't read, they don't read. So they probably just listen to the show. So, all right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And, uh, if you see any of these ideas happening, um, I, I'm not responsible for them. I'm, I'm, just putting out, <laughs> I'm just putting out a disclaimer that I will not take responsibility for I want for self-fulfilling prophecies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a little yeah, well we'll see what happens. But thank you for listening. We'll be back uh, soon. Next week, right? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. We'll be back next week. Okay. Back next week. 